0: You're listening to a podcast from Bayside Church International. Uh, Matthew 21, uh, Jesus is at the temple in Jerusalem and it says when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and when they saw uh, saw boys and girls and youths, and maidens crying out in the porches and courts of the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Uh, Groups of people in the Amplified, good on the Amplified for, you know, making things large and loud, boys and girls, youths and maidens. And the religious people listened to these group of people and said, I don't think you guys should be saying anything in this holy place. Religion has a wonderful track record in silencing the voice of children, young people, and women. And Jesus said this, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus, or they said to Jesus, do you hear what these are saying? Why don't you shut them up? And Jesus replied, yes, but have you never read, out of the mouths of babes and even unweaned infants, you have made perfect praise. You have ordained praise. I just thought of that while we watching that video. Thanks, Alex. Well, we are a church that believes in a has a number of core values, things that we really hold dear to us. We have many beliefs, things we believe, and some of the things that I believe you don't. Some of the things you believe I don't, and that's okay. But there are core values that we hold to foundationally as a church that sort of distinguish us, that make us who we are. Uh, here at Bayside and a number of years ago we decided to workshop those and to put them in a language that was uh, kind of clear and succinct to say these are the things that we stand for and uh, next month or our next preaching series which I think we're going to start next week uh, we'll be addressing some of those things as we look at some of the core identities that we hold as followers of Christ. If you know who you are no one can take that from you You can be all that God has called you to be when you're confident and secure in your identity. I love Rob's message from a couple of weeks ago in our Exodus series when he did a talk on identity and he he, he entitled it this. He said, I am who he says I am. God's name is I am who I am. But I say I am who he says I am. And so knowing who you are, knowing whose you are, Is of utmost importance. And so we're going to start a series coming up next week on our identity in Christ. Does that sound exciting? You happy with that? So we're going to be doing seven pillar identities. And a number of years ago, we workshopped some of those core identities that we have. And we said, these are the things that we stand for as a church. These are some of the pillars that we identify with. And one of those is that we are a family that believes in generations. So out of the mouths of infants and children. Let the children come to him. And uh, I just want to commend all of those who serve in our Super Kids ministry with Guy and Veronica and just do a fantastic job week after week. And uh, they've got a great Super Kids sleepover coming up in a couple of months' time, so watch out for that. But why don't you just put your hands together for our Super Kids volunteers who do a great job. And secondly, I bring that up because one of the things, and Rob explained this last week, one of the things we'd like to do in between preaching series is to introduce some new voices to the Bayside pulpit. And we have the great privilege of doing that again today. Jake uh, had a shot last week and apparently did a fantastic job. We're away, I look forward to catching up with him this week. But uh, but we have uh, two voices sharing this morning who've never shared from our Sunday pulpit before. So I hope you're excited with me. They come from two different generations, both young, but two different generations, just different varying degrees of youngness, okay, that's all I'm saying, two varying degrees of youngness, youthfulness, yes, but why don't you put your hands together for Rachel, who's going to open sharing today, come on girl, we want to hear what you've got to say girl, are you going to take my mic, put a hand on your heart, And extend a hand out to her, all right? You can pray for yourself and you can pray for her. Lord, I thank you that I am here today and I am here to hear your voice. I am here to sit at the feet of you, the great teacher, and to meet with you today. So I open my heart to hear what it is you are wanting to speak to me. And this morning, I bless Rachel. I thank you for the word that will be spoken through her. Thank you that you've called and empowered her for this task today. May she speak with confidence, boldness, and clarity. And I receive her this morning as the gift that she is in Jesus' name. Come on. Amen. Go.
1: Hi, I'm a bit different to Jake, he's, I don't know, he's just his natural, I think. Um, I had a funny dream last night, and I think it was after our conversation about fairy dust yesterday, I had a dream last night that I was preaching about fairy dust, and then Jay comes up to me after and says, that was interesting, <laughs> but on that note, I have got a story about gold dust nothing to do with my message, um, but when before we were going to Bethel, we were just praying for the supernatural to invade our lives. Like we were working in the vineyard, stupid, stupid job. We listened to podcasts like from Bill Johnson, and he's talking about gold dust and glory clouds and healings and diamonds and feathers, and we're like, "Why? I've never seen this, never heard of it." So we just started praying for it, and the next thing we see. Diamonds like in the vacuum cleaner and we had some friends over for tea one night and we're just talking about gold dust and how we've been praying for it and literally on the coffee table the house was spotless. I had cleaned because we had people over. A pile of gold dust just appears on the coffee table. Like a huge pile. It was absolutely amazing. So that's my fairy dust story. (laughs) I needed I needed a way to relate it. (laughs) So my message. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Um all right, I want you to put your hand up if you think you're creative or artsy. Okay. That's not many people. Put your hand up if you think you are not at all. Okay. I feel like there were some hands that were not raised, but that's okay. (laughs) We'll go with that. (laughs) I would put my hand up in the, I can do, like, I can play music and I can paint, but I'm not amazing, so I'm kind of borderline. Um, (laughs) Okay, so I'm going to kind of talk about art and creativity today. So don't shut your minds off if you don't put yourself in that category, please. Um, So I'm going to start. I can't imagine anything more dangerous to the enemy of our hearts than people who know who they are. That's a good quote. That's a good quote. So maybe you're a person who thinks art is for other people. Or maybe you can't imagine God having art in mind when he created you. Art is for a certain type of person doing a certain type of thing and that art isn't for you. Maybe you have a dream or a desire inside of you that you keep talking yourself out of. Or maybe you feel like you've got a way that you want to influence people but, you know, you don't think you do at the same time. But I think it's time we live as though we've got something to offer. Put your hand up if you agree. Yeah, cool. Um, So it's time we release our authentic selves into the world, yeah? What does it mean to be authentic? Just think about that because it's not only the painters that are allowed to be expressive or the, the, the author that can inspire us to dream or the musician that can, you know, take us to heaven like Amy did this morning. Um, God is an artist and this is the God that made you and me and this same God lives inside of each of us, yeah? He comes into us and then comes out of us in a million ways, we may not all have the same skill set or training or as painters or musicians, but we all bear the image of a creative god. Yeah. So perhaps then a good definition of an artist is something to do with you being brave enough to move toward what makes you come alive. So a good definition of being an artist has something to do with you being brave enough to move towards What makes you come alive? So who thinks they're an artist? (laughs) Art means believing that the God who created the world with words alone creates with words still through us. So maybe you make paintings or maybe you love to garden or maybe you love to bake or maybe you love numbers. Or maybe you love diagnosing problems. Maybe you love computers. I don't know. Maybe you live confidently in scary situations. Or maybe you're brave enough to listen, to wait, to trust. Maybe you see potential in situations and in people that others don't see. So we can say then that art is what happens when you dare to be who you really are. You have the power to influence, to move, to make, to become. You have the capacity to perform the human act of making art, of doing work that comes from deep within you that touches something deep within me. When God said, in the beginning, we know that wasn't the beginning of God. It was the beginning of us. In the beginning, God made art. His art marks the foundation of everything we know. The kind of art that God makes is not an afterthought or a weekend hobby. His art, his art marks the foundation of everything we know. <laughs> the kind of art, as I said, the kind of art God makes is not an afterthought or a weekend hobby. God's art is the starting point of the world. The first thing we know about God is he made art. What is the first thing we know about people? That we were made in his image. And as lovely as creation is, we were not made in the image of a sunset or a tree. When he spoke, the world appeared. But when he breathed, he made man in his image. Breathing, the sign of life. It's an evidence of life. So when God breathed, he put life into man. And he, the plural of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, decided that man and woman with life in their lungs would bear his divine image. So Genesis 1, 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this three-in-one God, made man and woman to be like him. Right? to reflect his image, to have a relationship that mirrored the relationship of the Trinity, to declare his glory. All God's work was good, but man and woman are the very good of creation. We are not an afterthought. We were carefully created, carefully planned, strategically thought of. We were, and we still are, desired by God. Genesis one twenty six begins with God creating man and woman in his image and it ends with God giving them a job to do, right? The kind of creating that God does is the kind that only God can do. We know that, but he invites us to co-create with him. So not as equals, but as image bearers to carry his image into the world. So Genesis 1.28 says, And God blessed them. God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. So we know Adam and Eve were created as image bearers first and to do good work out of their image bearing identity. But their understanding of their image bearing identity came into question when Eve talked with the serpent. The enemy challenged their identity and bearing God's image seemed to be no longer enough. not the saddest day? Saddest day. They wanted to be an exact representation. They didn't just want to reflect glory. They wanted to have their own. So when they traded their identity, it messed up their work. There's a whole nother sermon it could be from that. So now I want to go to Ephesians 2, verse 10. Sorry. Okay. Where is it? For we are his workmanship, created in him in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So here we are, a masterpiece made to do good things. Can you see a similar similarity to Genesis 1 where God made man and woman as image bearers with a job to do? So the English word used in this text, masterpiece, some translations say workmanship, are translations of the original word used in the letter to the church at Ephesus, the Greek word poiema. Our English word poem comes from this same Greek word, Workmanship, masterpiece, poem. All these words in scripture are used to describe God's work, you and me. God calls you his masterpiece, his poem. So what happens when God writes poetry? We happen. We are walking poetry. The kind that moves, the kind that has hands and feet, the kind with mind, will, emotions... We are what happens when God expresses himself. So if we are made the poem of God, what is the job he gave us to do? What is the job of a poem? Adam and Eve were made in his image and given a job to do. We are remade in Christ and we've been given a job to do. But this type of work, this job we're to do is not the kind that comes from the outside like a task. It's not a talent or a skill that we go to school to learn or perfect. This word for work is the type that assumes completion of an inner desire. When a poet writes a poem, he isn't writing a technical manual or a how-to book. A poet writes to express an inner desire. So now I want to rephrase Ephesians Ephesians 2.10. Where it essentially says, You are a poem written inside the person of Jesus Christ. You exist to carry out his inner desire. This is your good work. So, this is our job to carry out the inner desire of Christ. What is the inner desire of Christ? To bring glory to the Father. glory, the kind that comes from God, put into his son, placed onto us, which is then reflected back to him through the art of our life. We're here first as a poem to display the glory of God. At the most basic level of our identity, our job is to be a poem, the image bearers of God made to reflect his glory. The art we were born to make is released out of the core of who we truly are, where our spirit is joined as one with the spirit of God. Any movement coming from that place reflects the glory of God. This is our highest purpose and ultimately our greatest joy. There is one other place in the Bible where the exact word poema or workmanship is used, and that is in Romans 1 verse 20. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, Puyama, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his external power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. The earth and sky declare his glory. The entire natural world bears witness to God through its beauty, complexity, design and usefulness. So it's easy to agree that the heavens, the earth and all it contains are the poem of God. We see the tree standing firm with its branches, lifted up declaring the glory of God, but the credit for the beauty of the earth still belongs to God. Trees may declare God's glory, but they don't bear his image. Being his workmanship doesn't mean we're all poets. It means we're poems individual created works of a creative God. And this poetry comes out uniquely through us as we worship, think, pray, love, rest, and just simply exist. Every artist, author, poet, or musician signs their name on their masterpiece because it belongs to them. We can trace back to the creator of that piece, When we look in the mirror, we can see signed by God written all over us. God doesn't create junk. He doesn't create ugly. He looks at everything he makes and declares it very good. There isn't only one right way to do the job of glorifying God. There are many, many ways that Christ is formed in us and spills out of us. Knowing you're a poem doesn't confine you to be artsy. For all you non-creatives. It releases you to be you. We are art. Our life is art. Our story is art. No matter our personality, skill or talent, the essence of being human is that we're made by design with the hands of the divine artist, signed by God. Christ came to re-establish our identity, showing us what it means to be fully alive as a human, how to live on earth as we're intended to live, a life of complete dependence on the father, right? He lived as an exact representation of his father as he fulfilled the law, saved the world, made wine into water pots and blind men see. He lived as a son, a brother, a friend, a teacher, a carpenter, a saviour. He took walks, he spoke with prostitutes, he told stories, he fished, he laughed, he wept. And he did all of this by the leading of his father. But he didn't do that so we would have an image to copy. He sent his spirit to live within us to empower us to be fully alive. He's not invisible. As long as there are people on the earth, the world will have glimpses of God. He chooses your personality, your passion, your strengths, your weaknesses to work in, through and with. So the making of our lives is not dependent on what we make of it, but of what he is making of us. So I want to end with the quote that I started with. I can't imagine anything more dangerous to the enemy of our hearts than people who know who they are.
2: Well, good morning, God's masterpieces. Amen. That was awesome, Rachel. Well done. Well done. Let's see. So, Rachel shared so beautifully on being God's masterpiece, God's poetry. The last few weeks, my friend Robin Dunbar, who some of you know, has been overseas in the UK visiting her daughter, Ali. Ali. And they've been in Paris fulfilling a lifelong dream for both of them. Not that Ali's that old, but uh, to go to Paris to see the masterpieces. And I've had a ream of, of pictures of Monet, Van Gogh, Degas. And I thought that was a pill for gas. <laughs> Renoir, Suzanne, Manet, uh, Gorgon. Organ. Now, I thought that was a cheese, but it's not. And Ali's, Ali's favourite is Degas. And they stood waiting hours to get in to somewhere that I can't even pronounce. And they sent me heaps of pictures. I did recognise Whistler's mother, just an old girl in a rocking chair. And again, I actually looked up Degas because I didn't want to be really ignorant to Ali. And, and, and Degas is the one that paints the beautiful ballerina pictures in the 18th century. So that was lovely. And then Robin sent me a picture of Ali sat having coffee. And my heart just swelled when I saw the picture of the smile on Ali's face. And I actually looked at God's masterpiece. Made by the master. You see, all those paintings were just paintings. Sorry, I'm ignorant, but they were just paintings. But when I saw the picture of Ali... I saw God's masterpiece, made by the master. And I love that line, you know, signed by the master. When we look in the mirror, maybe we should all go home and write that on our mirror. You know, made by, by, by the God, made by the master. I love that. So I wonder how often when we look at our faces in the mirror or even say, I'm God's masterpiece. In fact, how many of you enjoy looking in the mirror? Thought so. There may be one or two. Dan loves looking in the mirror, don't you, Dan? Dan loves looking in the mirror. <laughs> Although there was one mirror I loved looking in. And there was a lady in, in one of our previous places, in Keith actually, and she had a, a junk shop, which I didn't like going in because I don't like those shops, but she did have a shoe shop. And in her shoe shop, she'd picked up this mirror. And it was placed so you could try your shoes on and you look good. You look tall. (laughs) Tall, Alex. Tall, leggy blonde. Your legs look good. She sold lots of shoes. I'm not sure how ethical that was for a Christian woman, but hey... But it reminded me, I'm sure it was a mirror that come out of, you know, those hall of mirrors in the fairground that you used to love when you were younger. You know, you'd look and you were like this or like this and we'd laugh and we'd get a distorted view of who we are or should I say of what we see. And you know today, a lot of us look in the mirror and get that distorted view of who we are. We look in the mirror of performance and see the words not good enough. We look in the mirror of value and see worthless. We gaze into the mirror of success and see failure. We gaze into the mirror of competence, see inferior, insecure or inadequate. And we all have times where we've lived in the hall of mirrors. And at some times or other we believe a distorted interpretation of who we are and what we are. And do you know what? It's a big fat lie. I bought a book once called God God Didn't Make Wallflowers, just like the title. It just appealed to me because it was all about explaining that this author that doing life with, with God is a dance, a dance with the Father. And that really appealed to me because I have really lovely memories of my dad. My mum died when I was ten. And my dad uh, worked very hard. But on a Sunday, the records would go on. The records, for those of you that are too young, they were round things. And the records used to go on. And we used to dance to Frank Sinatra and Nat King Cole while we did the cleaning. And when I was younger, I used to dance on my daddy's feet. But as I got older, he held me. And that was secure and a place I felt loved and as a child of my Heavenly Father, there are some times where the Heavenly Father says to me, just jump on, Maureen, I've got you. So I went into prayer because if it's the dance with the Father, if life with, with the Father is the dance, what's the invitation to the dance? And I took a long time, just prayed and prayed about, about this, and of course it was John 10:10. 10, 10. I have come, that's the invitation, I have come that you might have life and life in abundance. A verse we all know well, a verse we can all quote. If you ask someone to quote your verse, can quote that. But they they forget the start of the verse that says, the thief comes to seek and destroy, but I come that you might have life and life in abundance. That's the bit we often forget. And that's the bit that we can get distorted on. Because it's the thief who comes and whispers in our ear. It's the thief who takes us into the hall of mirrors. Jesus came to destroy the enemy. 1 John 3.8 says, he who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning since the beginning. The reason the son of God came was to destroy the devil's work and destroy it he did on the cross. We just need to keep believing the truth, stand on the truth, and walk in the truth of what Jesus has already accomplished for each one of us on the cross. Last week, when Jake spoke, I saw people visibly wrecked remembering what Jesus had on the cross. They weren't distressed, they were wrecked of remembering what Jesus did on the cross. Why don't we remember that daily? Why don't we remember that daily? What a price he paid for you and for me. I read a story about a man who was camping in the desert and he saw a diamond-headed rattlesnake in his campsite. This is a true story. He reached for his spade and he chopped the head straight off. Amazingly, the snake was dead, but continued to move and continued to rattle. And the thing that this man said that unnerved him the worst was that he knew it was dead, but it was still shaking and it was still rattling. Satan's has been chopped. He lost the battle, but it continues to shake and rattle to draw our attention away from his defeat. We know he's defeated. We sing the songs. We repeat scriptures. But the truth for us today is to remember when we accepted Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, we experienced a new birth. We received a new identity that day. We receive who we are in Christ. And we can learn to live in the victory through the storms. I'll repeat that. (coughs) We can learn to live in the victory through the storms. We're not defeated. We're not defeated in storms. We learn to live in the victory through the storms. We'll have abundance in the desert times. The best of his experience that we can experience from him is this freedom, but back to the mirrors. We need to replace the lies with truths. We need to look into that mirror and we need to see our true identity. Romans 8 says there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. It's our identity made up on what we see. Do we give power to the words spoken over to us? Words spoken into our lives by others? Or is it, as a son and daughter of the living Lord God, a perfect masterpiece, a perfect sonnet, a perfect piece of poetry? Romans 8:37. we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. I just love that. It blows my mind because it says, I'm not just, I am more than a conqueror. Not just, I am more than a conqueror. Keep that verse in your heart. You know, that is a good verse to remember. That when the times are tough, when you're in the desert, when you're in those times that everything's coming in on you, I am more, more than a conqueror through Christ who loves me. The lie is I can't help myself. The truth is I am more than a conqueror through Christ who loves me. The life, my life is hopeless. The thief comes to seek and destroy. But I come... That you might have life in abundance. James one twenty three twenty-four. Anyone who listens to the word but not does do but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. The lie, I'm not good enough. The truth, I am good enough. I am God, good enough because the Spirit of God dwells in me and the Holy Spirit empowers me. The lie is I am worthless. The truth is you are God's treasured possession, Deuteronomy 14:2. I am, you are God's masterpiece. I'm going to invite Rachel back up, and maybe the worship team can come back up. So this morning, we just want to remind you all that you are God's masterpiece. You are God's piece of poetry. You're not a rolled Dahl poem that's gone wrong. When you accept Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, you are God's masterpiece.
1: You are a poem written inside the person of Jesus Christ. You exist to carry out his inner desire. This is your good work.
2: So go home. Write on your mirror. I am God's masterpiece, signed by the Master. Thank you.
0: Fantastic. This has been a podcast from Bayside Church International. Thanks for listening.